Well, I think uh, I've got a fitting question for you today to get you started in this study of Ephesians. Okay? Let me skip back to this. Right there you go. What do you think about that question? Kind of fitting today, isn't it? Why are you? And it depends on how you say it, too, right? Why are you here? It has a totally different feel. Why are you here? Well, let me ask. I'm asking you. Why are you here? You don't have to answer. I mean, I mean, why did you come today? What are you doing here? I mean, why did you get up this morning and make a point of being here? Maybe you started to get up and man, bed was feeling really comfortable, right? I mean, why why did you come here? I mean, and, and really, kind of when I'm asking that, I'm I'm kind of asking uh, why you come here at all, right? Why do you come here at all? I mean, why why would you want to go? To church, right? I mean, what's what's the what's the point in that? Um, for you, I mean, there's lots of other things you could be doing. It's Labor Day weekend, right? And maybe there's even some other people who aren't here for those reasons. Now, we got some people that are not here for for some very valid reasons, work or different things are going on. They had to family reunions, right? But but overall, right? Why are you here? And there's, there's things to do. And, and, and frankly, some do. Some come, but some don't. Right? And there's, Danville's full of people. I, I guarantee if you, if you go out right now, I, you know, just today, I, there's, always, there's always some people in, you know, jogging down the road or you know, off doing. I, I see people, a lot of times I stop at the uh, marathon and I get myself a big polar pop. Right? And there's always some guys there. And, I, and, you know, and I'm thinking they're on their way fishing or something. You know, I've seen guys out there parked out there. They've got their boat. They're on their way. So, so why, why, why you? Right? I mean, we could even expand it. Why, I mean, why, why go to church at all? I mean, maybe you're thinking, well, because I'm a Christian. Right? That's what Christians do. Christians go to church and, you know, do I have faith in God? Well, well, maybe I should ask that. Why do you have faith in God? I mean, why you? Right? Why you? It's interesting because in talking to Christians, most of the Christians that I've talk to would say something in response to like why why you come here why are you a Christian most Christians that I've met now not all but most of them would answer this way they'd answer somewhere along this these lines they would say they say they might start off the sentence yeah, if it wasn't for the grace of God I probably wouldn't have you ever either answered that or heard somebody say that and if it wasn't for the grace of God I, I wouldn't be here at all maybe maybe even sometimes they, they start going down that road of Man, I was just, in my life, I was headed this way and God just intervened. Right? I mean, I think that all the time. Every once in a while I have that moment of realization when I'm standing up here. Say, if I let myself think about it, I could have that again. How in the world did this happen? Right? I mean, even the desire. You know, some of you know I was, I had this desire for, frankly, years and I never voiced it, but I had this desire. And I, I talked about, I mentioned it to charity, charity every once in a while. You know, I'd say, I'd love to be a pastor. And I, I'd say half the time that I said it, I said, I'd love to be the pastor at Edgewood. And now here I am. How did that happen? I wasn't trying to make that happen. It just, here I am. But, but when I think about that, I think, where did that come from, though? Because I know Matt. Matt was... In fact, you could even use, maybe use the word hell-bent on something else. Right? Have you heard that phrase before? 
man, I, I, my heart and my mind was, was completely... And I, I can say, just like so many others, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would not be here. I wouldn't. You know, the thing about it is that perspective that, that if God had not intervened is such a true biblical perspective um, that fits so well with what, what the Scripture teaches. Before I jump into Ephesians, I just want to read a, a passage most of you know. Is Romans chapter 3. Put it up there. Romans chapter 3 says, As it is written, now this is Paul speaking, this is a list of quotations from the Old Testament. So Paul is quoting a bunch of Old Testament references. And so it says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No, no one does good, not even one. Their throats are an open grave. They, they use their tongues to deceive. The, the venom of asps is under their lips. Their, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their path are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Right? There's none good. Not one. Nobody understands. Nobody seeks after God. I mean, in a, in a very real sense, you see this all, all the time. Nobody in and of themselves just, just seeks after God. And so you, you talk to Christians. Most Christians don't go, you know, hey, why, why do you have faith in God? Why are you going to church? Why are you doing this? And they, you don't hear Christians go, why was, you know, I just really thought about it. I was just smarter than those other people. Right? We're not sitting around going, you know, sitting here in church and going, well, I'm just better than them. <laughs> no? Right? I was, I was just such, so full of wisdom. I thought it out. I figured it out. And that's why I'm here today. You just don't hear that. And the thing is, that's so true. The Bible says it so clearly. And Paul, frankly, Paul understood this. Paul knew this firsthand. Paul was a, a Pharisee. And had been given, to, the first mentions we have of Paul is overseeing uh, the killing of Stephen. Right? And people are laying down the coats at his feet, and, and he's overseeing this. In fact, he, I, I don't know what you'd call it, but he gets a commission, so to speak, from the other Pharisees to go and find more Christians to kill. Right? And he's on his way. He's on the road to Damascus. And then what happens? Intervention. Right? The light. Have you ever seen that show, Intervention? You know, everybody gets together and they and try to intervene in someone's life. I mean, in a real sense, this is a real intervention on the behalf of Christ. Paul, and it's so much like what so many of our conversion stories are like. I was going down this road, living my life, right? Set in a I wasn't sitting there thinking about God. And then, what happens? Some of us is different. Some of it's real drastic, like Paul. Some of it's a little bit more subtle. Start having this nagging question. Where's that coming from? What about God? What about your relationship with God? What are you doing about that? What about church? What about the Bible? It starts, and God just intervenes in our lives. You know, this is why, and I'm going to put this up on the board, this is why if you read through the New Testament, you read Paul's letters. Let's just focus on those specifically. If you read Paul's letters, let me put it this way. Paul, Paul never thought of himself as someone who had chosen God. You just don't see that kind of language from Paul. He never describes himself. He, Paul wouldn't have been the guy sitting around singing, I have decided to follow Jesus. That's not, Paul wouldn't have been saying that. But what you see from him over and over and over again is not, I'm someone who's chosen God, but 
I'm just someone God chose. You, you see that right away at the very beginning of Ephesians. If we go to Ephesians, and I'm not going to pop this up there, but we, you write in the first verse, and you see this in almost every one of his letters. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Right? By the will of God. God did this. I'm, just, just, I'm here because of, of God. Um, and you see this over and over again. Paul just never thought of himself as someone who had chosen God, but instead someone whom God had chosen. Right? Now, let's read Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to go to verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 I talked about last week, but I just need to remind you again. So let's go to this. It starts off, Blessed. Okay? I'm going to focus on just a few words through here. And so I, I put the, the word I'm highlighting in yellow up there, so we can kind of focus on that. Blessed. Uh, last week I talked about that. This is Paul's way of starting off. Praise God. Right? Because you, you can't actually bless God with something. God has everything. You can't add something to God. You can't give Him something He doesn't already have. And so when we say we're going to bless God, it literally just means I'm going to ascribe to God how He already is. And so this is a way that you can say praise God would be to say blessed be God, right? Blessed. Praise God. And so Paul starts this, this, this praise of God. You might call it a doxology, if you use those kind of words, right? We've got this doxology of praise that, that Paul does from verse 3 to verse 14. And so he's praising God. Praise God. What's he praising God for? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, who has blessed us. So he's, this kind of the summary statement, I'm praising God, he says, blessed be God, because he's blessed us. Who's the us? We talked about last week was the Christians, those who have faith in Jesus Christ, from verse uh, 2, right? Or I'm sorry, from verse 1, the saints are in Ephesus who, are, who have faith or who are faithful in Christ, that meant have faith. And so he says, praise God because, because of how he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In the heavenlies. Those two concepts are in there. In the heavenlies. In Christ. I mean, we have every spiritual blessing. Right? Every, every spiritual blessing imaginable we have in Christ. We talked about that last week. But then we move to this next part. Uh, even as, or some versions say, uh, uh, they say uh, according to or, or just as. And it, it's one word in the original. It's a conjunction. Right? Now, I can't say conjunction without thinking about that old Saturday morning you guys remember the old conjunction, junction? What? You remember that? Right? A conjunction joins two things together. This thought is connected to this thought. Now remember, this is all one sentence anyway. The verse divisions weren't added in until way later. Paul didn't write verse 1, verse 2. He didn't do that, right? So, so this is, and plus it's all one big long sentence, 3 to 14. So, but there's this conjunction in the Greek and it joins these two ideas together. Even as he's blessed as, and it, even as, or according to, Right? He blessed us according to this. Right? So he's getting ready to say, the blessing is according to this next thing. What's the next thing? This even as. The blessing according to, or even as, or just as. Uh, I like according to the best. Uh, even as, what? He chose. Now in the Greek, he chose means he chose. Right? Right? Look it up. He chose means he chose. It's precisely what it means. The he is referring to God the Father. Right? Chose. It was a decision. It was an action that he did. Who did he choose? Us. Who's that us referring to? Who's the us? Everybody's kind of saying it. 
the same us as earlier, right? The saints, I think somebody said, right? The saints, those who have faithful. So he chose the, us, the, the Christians. Paul's referring to himself and the Christians at Ephesus. He, he chose us, these spiritual blessings, according to how he chose us, right? Then it says, in him. Who's that him referring to? Again, somebody say it. Who's the in him? I give you a hint, it starts with a C. Christ, right? In Christ, which he had just said earlier, right? All these spiritual blessings are in Christ. He chose us in him, in Christ again. When did this, this choosing take place? Before the foundation of the world. Now we're going to stop right there for a minute. Before the foundation of the world. Uh, that before the foundation of the world, you have the Greek word pro, which means before. So before the foundation, that word foundation, actually, sometimes that word foundation right here is translated conception, right? So like when a baby is conceived, before the baby is conceived, right? Uh, that's before conception. And so this literally could be, it could be translated before conception, before the foundation of the world. In other words, to make it real simple, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So Paul's referring to a moment before that. We don't know when. It doesn't give a time. But Paul just says, before that. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Right? Now, stop. Now there's a lot of implications that start to boil up when you start talking about this. Ooh, what, 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 right? Things start to boil out, right? What's this talking about? Right? What's going on here? In fact, I start getting some really, some really hectic ideas in my head. I start to start go a little bit crazy here because, I mean, just just think about the, just think about this series of implications, right? Think about just the fact that, okay, regardless of what he chose us in him before the foundation of the world means, just the fact that that is an, just, just take it at face value. Think about this for a second. In order for each of you to exist, just exist, regardless of your destination, just your existence to have happened, required your parents, and to keep it appropriate, your parents at a certain time, your biological parents had to, for you to be, for them to have been the right genetic combination, for them to have been, required those two biological And you could start... I mean, that's an amazingly phenomenal series of events just for you to exist. There's a lot of implications in this. For him to, before, go back in time, this back... Was it a day before? Was it a billion years before? Was there even time before? Maybe not. What did that look like? God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. If we just take it at face value. There's a lot of implications there. And we could go down some other implications, but I don't want you to miss something here. Because see, we could start... Heading down all the implications of what it could imply about our destinations and what does that mean for all of us as individuals and for the world and for these other people and what about this? But, but let's not miss something here. The most obvious part of this passage of Scripture. In this passage of Scripture, Paul is not trying to convince you of anything. He's stating facts as worship. 
don't miss the fact that what we're doing right here, we're studying this passage of Scripture, but this is just an element of Paul's worship. Paul's worshiping God, and he just, he just, here's, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You and me, we, us, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, in the heavenly places, before, and it's according to how He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. It's praise. I mean, a lot of people start talking about these topics and they want to have deep intellectual theological debates about what does this actually mean and what is this, how does it play out and what's going Set that aside for a minute. Paul just states it as fact and says, I'm praising God for it. I mean, don't miss that in the middle of it. That's where my tendency is to go. I, I, I read things like this and I, I want to think about all the implications. How does that work and how does it play? And how, 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 how does it, how does it... Paul just says, this is how it is. Now there's, I want to give you three reasons why this might be a, a cause to worship. Why would this be included in Ellen? I want to give you three, three reasons why I believe this would be an element of worship. And why Paul would use this. And so I want to phrase it this way. If I can get this next slide up. There we go. Why is this a central theme in Paul's worship? In fact, if you go through the rest of 3 through 14, you see this theme played out through the rest of this passage. Okay? As an element of Paul's worship. The first reason I'd like to give you is this. This concept, this teaching that Paul lays out here clearly, right? First thing it does is this. It eliminates the impersonal for the personal. See, this teaching gets rid of the impersonal for the personal. The Greeks believed in what were known as the, the fates. Have you ever heard of that before? In fact, they had there's three of them. The three fates. And they were these goddesses or something, witches or I don't know. And the, the, the three fates. And they were, they were actually spinners. They had like a spinning wheel or something. And, and the threads of, that they were spinning were people's lives. And they were weaving them together. And so this is, they were called the fates. And so the Greeks believed in fate. But the, 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 the fates were very impersonal. They were cold and indifferent. And they could care less about you or me or anything else. And in fact, if, when it was time for the end of this thread, they would just snip it off. And that was when that person would die. That's where we get the word fatal, right? It was, it was connected to the fates and we get the idea of fatalism and, and things are set and everything else. And, but, but fatalism is very impersonal. Okay? It's very impersonal. I want to go to the next verse. Now, this is actually the end of verse 4, but the beginning of verse 5. Uh, that, that verse division... Um, the, was, was kind of misplaced. The in love in the Greek language, the in love should actually be attached to the next part. So I'm going to read verse 5, and it says this. Uh, I'm going to keep the in love with that. It says, In love He predestined us. And stop there again. Notice that. See, a lot of people, they, they see that we're predestined. Right? Don't miss the other two words that were just said before that. In love. This is about a, a loving, personal God. See, a lot of people start hearing this, you know, this, this talk, and I don't know, I don't, you know. In fact, you know, every once in a while you, you hear somebody say, "Well, I don't, I don't believe in predestination." But the, the problem with that is, it's right here. Here it is, predestined. In fact, you know, to say you don't believe in predestination would be like living in Illinois and saying you don't believe in corn. 
I mean, it's all around you. I mean, can you imagine somebody standing in the middle of a corn? I don't believe in corn. You know, I mean, it's it's right there. There it is. You can, you know, I don't, I'm not going to try to prove it. There it is, right there. It's it's not a, a question of debate. I mean, here it is, right here in the Bible. Look it up in the the New International Version. In love, He predestined us. Uh, look it up in the King James Version. Having predestinated us into, you know, I mean, here's this word. It's right there. It's not a question. Paul's not trying to prove it. He's just saying this is how it is. Praise God. Praise God. And that's what you have to do. You have to say that this is, it's right there. It's, it's not an issue of debate for Paul. It's just an issue of praise. And see, when you, when you have conversations that are... That, you see, there's a totally different kind of conversation. Right? If I walk up to a student and debate with him, that's a completely different kind of conversation than if I'm, than I'm praising something. This is an amazing thing. You should try this. this. You should do this thing here, right? It's not a debate. It's just praise. And for Paul, it was an element of praise. You know, he didn't argue the point. It, it, it's, but, but don't miss this. This is a personal God. It's in love. In love, He predestined us for, a, for adoption. And this is full adoption that Paul... This is the, the legal term that the, the, the Greeks and the Romans would use to refer to someone who's been adopted fully into the family. And, and here Paul says, In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. And he's just praising God. This is the God that we serve. But don't miss the fact that the impersonal fate... See, there's no such thing as fate. Well, maybe fate. It's not about fate. It's about God. There's a person behind what's going on in your life. It's, it's not random chance. It's not these other... It's a person. God. He's in control. There's not fate that's impersonal, but it's a personal God that we serve. Let me give you reason number two. Reason number two... Why is this idea, this chosenness, this, this predestination, a central theme to, to Paul's worship? I think reason number two is this. It brings meaning and purpose. I mean, if you go back to that, the, the last verse, you know, uh, we were chosen in Him that we should be or that we may be. There's, there's, a, there's a purpose attached to this, Right? There's purpose. If, if I might say it this way, this is not the best word to use, but I might say destiny is involved. Right? Destiny is involved. Let me read a, uh, another passage of Scripture. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.9. I'm going to flip there. I'm flipping the wrong way. What kind of pastor am I? I flipped the wrong direction. Oh, see, now I'm talking to you and I can't find the... I'll find it. Second Timothy one nine says this, and see, I'm going to put it up on the screen for you, but see, I can't see it. So, Second Timothy one nine says this. Um, talking about, actually, let me read the, the a little bit of right before that. It, Paul's talking verse eight. He says, therefore, don't don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Uh, nor of me as prisoner. Paul's a prisoner when he's writing this. He says, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Okay, so he says, by the power of God. And then he goes into this. He says, who saved us. Just listen to these words that Paul's using. Who saved us and, and called us to a holy calling. All of us, right? He saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages or the eons, right? Before the ages began. Have you ever watched a movie before 
where in that movie, or maybe you read a book where there was somebody that was the chosen one, right? And, and they, sometimes in the course of the movie, they figure out, you're the chosen one. And then there's that destiny they have to, oh, I am the chosen one, right? Here's, here's the thing. At least 20 times just in the New Testament, Christians are either referred to as the chosen or as the elect of God. It's actually the same word in the Greek. You are the chosen ones. There's purpose that God has for you. I like what Jesus said to his disciples. Pop this one up here. John fifteen sixteen. The disciples were a little confused about this, and so he clears up the issue. He says, you have not chosen me, but, but I have chosen you and ordained you. Ordained, set apart, right? I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. I have cho- you, you thought you chose me, but here's the, I chose you and ordained you. Now, some would start hearing thoughts like this and start thinking, you know, yeah, that, that's good. We should talk about this because, see, you know, I was feeling kind of down, but you know, the fact that I was chosen of God means that you know, God must have taken a look at me and thought, I could use that guy. He's pretty special. Right? Here's the thing, though. That's not the case. Let me, let me turn to another passage, 1 Corinthians, because lest our egos get in the way. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 26. For consider your calling. Again, this, this calling, this, this chosen idea, this purpose, right? Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, and not many were powerful, and not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why do you do this? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Not one of us is going to get before God and, and be able to say, God picked me because of I was chosen of God. I was one of the chosen ones, like the children of Israel, the chosen people of God. In the New Testament, we have the same thing, the chosen ones again. Not one of the chosen ones because of anything to do with you. It's all about Christ. In fact, that passage goes on. I don't have slides for this, but verse 29, I'm sorry, verse 30 says, And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, Righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Right? I mean, but, but don't miss this, though. In, in the middle of this, there, there's meaning and there's purpose to what God has for you. You're, you are, I, I, I could go up to each one of you and say, you are one of the chosen ones of God. Right? Just like Paul said, he chose us. Maybe we could say this letter to us today. You, this group. God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Right? In love, He predestined us for adoption. 
But in the middle of that, there's this concept of purpose and meaning. You know, the old, the old question, what's the meaning of life? For us, we know the answer. God has the meaning and it's to be found in Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you a final reason. Okay? Now, this last reason, here, I'm going to pop it up on the screen and you're going to look at me like, what? What? <laughs> what are you doing, Matt? Uh, but for lack of a better term, okay? Oh, what happened? Oh, I see, you saw it too quick. Uh, for lack of a better term, and, and, and I'll explain after I pop it up there. Reason number three. Magic fix-it God is replaced by a sovereign Lord. And you're thinking, magic fix-it God? Who ever says it? Okay, nobody actually says that. But so many people I meet, when they start talking about God, this is how they describe Him. And let's take the, the whole scope of the world to begin with. How many times have we thought about, okay, God, He created the world, He created perfect, and everything was looking good, and then Adam and Eve messed it up. God had to fix it. Okay, how am I going to... All right, I'll, I guess I have to send my son. And, and that's the response. But, but even in personal situations, somebody will experience a tragedy. And well, you know, God never intended this, but, but it's happened, and you know, He'll fix it. He'll, he'll, he'll make... He'll, He's like a magician. He'll pull a rabbit out of the hat every single time, God will. The problem with that is that is not how the Bible describes God. Bible does, the Bible does not describe God as a, as a God who's constantly in a state of, of managing and fixing. And, and it's true that God is amazing at fixing and, and repairing and making things new. But the, the truth is, that is not ultimately how God is painted. Let me go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, if I just, uh, just one, one verse, if you go down to uh, uh, verse 11, it says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. I mean, I have to ask, this, is, this, is, this really starts to get down to the, the basic question of the series. How big is your view of God? Is God a God that's, that's, oh, he's really good at repairing or putting things back together? Man, he's constantly, okay, this thing went. Or is God a God that is a sovereign king of the universe who's never been thwarted? Not one of his plans has been overturned. No one has been able to stop him from what he plans to do. He is always in control of every situation now we could expand on that a little bit we're going to have to if we're going to understand Ephesians but we have to ask this question how big is your view of God I mean think about even the fact that Christ himself Now, before the creation of the world before Adam and Eve sinned it was God's plan for Christ he was the lamb that was slain before the creation of the world before the foundation of the world this was always the plan I think you can end up Going to a verse like this, I'm going to pull up this last passage and then I'm going to close. In Isaiah. Isaiah says this. He says, Remember the former things of old. This is God speaking. For I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times 
the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all I please, all my pleasure. This is the God that you serve. I think sometimes we need to remind ourselves of this big scope of who God is. See, God is God. Sovereign Lord of the universe. Right? My hope is that us, today, we will begin to view God as God and honor Him as God. Now, I know that you may read these passages in Ephesians and you read these words and even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world and, and He predestined us, we go to A.S. having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who worked. And some of those things you go, man, I can't... How does that fit with this and how does it... Take a step back for a minute and recognize, first of all, that that is precisely what it says. And somehow... In God's infinite wisdom, this is true. In conjunction with everything else He says. He doesn't contradict Himself. And we can't be the kind of people that are, are going to take this passage and, well, I don't like this and so I'm going to pretend like it's not there. We have to take all of Scripture, the whole counsel of God, like it says in the book of Acts. Those were, they were called to preach the whole counsel of God. And so as we approach a passage like this, we have to know that this is true, first of all. But the question you have to walk away with is how does it impact you? Are you going to let it impact you? Are you going to, are you going to have that attitude that says, God, impact me with your word. What does this mean for me? How does this play out in my life this week? The fact that you are, are, are God of the universe. That, that, how, how, did, how should it affect you that, to be able to say, I was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. There should be some level of an empowering to be able to go and do what God wants. Not because of anything of yourself, because you also know that God didn't choose the wise things of the world, but the foolish. That we might become all things in Christ. And so we can go through this life and begin to do what God wants us to do and approach those things knowing that God is in control and you are of the chosen ones. Alright, I'm going to... We're going to start the uh, uh, communion... While I'm doing this, it's a good moment to begin to reflect on those things. And I know I say this every time that we do uh, communion, do the Lord's Supper, but it is. And this is why I I do the Lord's Supper that way, where I give you a chance. I want you to have that opportunity to reflect, because uh, Paul obviously lifted those things up as important things. Um, Verse 27 of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 says, Whoever therefore eats the bread drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner would be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And so he goes on to say right after this, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Right? And so we have these times that we need to examine ourselves. Now, I will be honest with you, there's been many times I have sat in a communion service and I've had the bread and I've had the cup and I didn't take one second to examine myself. Right? Don't let that happen today. Let today be an opportunity to say, Okay, Lord, search me. Right? Like David. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Right? Uh, when you get that 
bread. Hold on to that. Remember what Christ did in His body. When you get that cup, hold on to that and sit there and let, let yourself, Lord, search me. Lord, have I been prideful? Have I been arrogant? Lord, have I been lazy? Lord, what, what maybe, where, where am I struggling at? Lord, show me. Lord, that I might repent. Okay? I'm going to pray for the, the cup. I'll just... You help me? Okay. Can you? With your shoulder? Yeah. Alright. Well, I'm going to pray blessing over these things and then I'll have you come up and get one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this day. and uh, Lord, I just want to pray a blessing over these things, over this bread and over this cup. Lord, we know that it's just bread. Lord, we know it's just uh, grape juice. And, but Lord, we know what it represents. Lord, in this tradition that's been set down by you while you were on this earth, God, I pray that it would have meaning for us today. Lord, I pray that you would use this opportunity to expand our view of who you are. Help us, Lord, to examine ourselves and, and ask ourselves how we've handled your word and are we willing to listen and, and believe and obey those things. And all of this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.